This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to The Late Show with James Rubman. Tonight, we're going to talk about Beyond Barriers, tools for tech and an inclusive education with my guest, Nikki Foote. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of tea or something stronger, and enjoy this conversation. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to The Late Show here on Teachers Talk Radio and thank you for joining us on what's going to be a really insightful journey into the heart of education and technology tonight. Tonight we have a very special guest, um, Nikki Foote, who is going to be here talking to us about Beyond Barriers Tech as a tool for inclusive education. Now, in a world where technology is rapidly reshaping the landscape of our lives, it's crucial we harness its power to make education accessible for all. And who better else to guide us through this transformative path than Nikki, who is an educator rich with a great range of global teaching experience um, and a massive advocate for integrating technology in the classroom. I know she's got a huge experience of coaching teachers as well. So she is very much a pioneer, very much someone who has got a boundless energy coming into this to coach teachers with this expertise. And hopefully tonight we'll explore some of those challenges, some of those opportunities that technology can really help us with and what it can present as well in this inclusive, engaging learning environment. We may uh, touch on topics such as AI, coaching, CPD, and see where tech is in the landscape in the UK, especially at the moment, and where it is worldwide, and what those next steps are. Technology is all around us. Technology can be transformational, and it is something we interact with every day, whether it is crossing the road, whether it is going to the ATM machine, and you see there's a headphone jack there, there's a lot of tools with technology that will enable people to interact within the world without being a bolt-on, actually being embedded. And Nikki has got a real passion, not only for education and technology, so for allowing everyone that level playing field. And she's such an advocate. So I'm really excited to talk to Nikki tonight and to explore what her journey is and how she has got involved in education. So thank you, Nikki, for coming on tonight. And can you just share a little bit about you and your journey through education? So I know you've worked both um, within the UK, but internationally as well. I know that would be a fascinating um, insight into your perspective as well in education. Um, so... Thanks so much for inviting me on. It's super lovely to be able to talk about accessibility and inclusivity from really my own perspective. Um, I grew up and went to school in the um, 1980s and I was diagnosed with dyslexia at the age of 10. And I and think during the 1980s, when you're dyslexic and, so, and the 1990s really, you were really put into a lower set and so I, uh, throughout my school, I was in the lower set for everything and really um, basically came out of that feeling very much like a failure. Um, and so a lot of, and it's taken me a lot of confidence and a lot of growing throughout my adulthood in order to really find out who I am, what's really special about me um, and own those unique qualities and see them as qualities and then be able to um, work out what I can offer the world. And one of the things, I've always wanted to be a teacher, and so I went into teaching very, very early, straight out of school, 
I went and did a BA um, three years. And so by the age of 21, I was a fully qualified teacher. And it's really taken me a long time to, to kind of go back and reshape my values in education and sort of scratch out the bits that I didn't feel were appropriate or didn't feel that I really bonded with and be able to then go forward and go, right, what am I going to focus on? What is really important in, in teaching? And so now when in my mid to late forties, I am um, very much passionate about accessibility, about inclusivity, about shining a light on all students' voices. Um, and also um, working with teachers in order to help them understand the bits that they can't see. And I think being able to teach students with SEND needs um, takes a mindset change. It takes a shift. We see the world through our own lenses um, and we see, we teach from the lens of ourselves. And I think that teachers and educators need to look at what the lens they have or what pair of specs do they have on their face when they are teaching? And is that about themselves or is that about the students in front of them? Right. So I think we're going to spend the next several hours, it feels like, just unpacking <laughs> those couple of comps points you made. So um, there have been some fantastic things and I've much an advocate for um, text. And I know when we often have conversations, we have the AI um, trying to keep catch up with us and i'll actually yeah. use in paper tonight of all things but um and i think this idea of a shining light is is fascinating but let's let's skip back not to your childhood because i think we'll come back to that oh uh, that's a long your... we don't need to go back the therapist is helping me with that one but let's go your journey as a teacher yeah and i want to see what you went so as an early teacher at 21 you hit the profession head on what was that like for you as a teacher? What did you oh, notice about the children? And how is that different in the different settings and countries? Yes, fascinating. So I hit I hit the um I hit teaching and my first class was in twenty uh, two thousand and one, so slightly older than twenty one, two thousand and one. I actually had Tyrone Mings in my first class who has played football for England in the last few years. Um, and that class was a mixed year three, four class. Um, lots of needs in, a, in an area of where I live. We've actually come back, I come full circle. I now live in the area where I first started teaching after traveling around the world for about 15 years. Um, and so that class was really interesting so full of needs so full of uh, students were lacking in confidence lots of um relationships with parents that needed to be built up that i had absolutely no clue on how to do that um but interestingly i had within the first four months i had a ofsted inspection and i found the experience so stressful that i left teaching for a year after that so I actually went in, did my NQT year, and then I left for a year and I went and worked in a cake shop because I thought teaching was the most stressful job on the planet. And all I wanted to do when I was teaching was I thought about cakes, not because I could make them because I really can't, but mostly because I like to eat them. Um, and so, yeah, I f and, and, and when I look at that um, experience, I have come an incredibly long way. And so... I kind of dibble-dabbled in, in teaching. I went and worked in Bristol, where I worked in a really lovely family school in a very affluent area of Bristol. I decided that I really couldn't struggle to work with students with needs because I didn't know what they wanted and I wasn't able to, to change the way I was teaching for all of those needs within the class. And if you think about it back then, we were going home in the evening and we were expected to write a list of everything we were going, of the conversations and the questions we were having with the children. And then the answers we were expecting back, it was a dialogue that we had to go, to go through and there wasn't any de deviation. And I felt, because I think James, you know this, I'm not 
a massive one for following the path. Um, and I felt that I didn't really fit. I didn't feel I had the talent in order to be a teacher where I had to be so specialist all the time. Is that a frustration out of the system, as in you didn't, you couldn't do what you wanted for those children? No, I thought I was inadequate. I thought I was absolutely inadequate. I thought I wasn't able to be the... In those days, you had to be, and I know a lot of teachers still still feel like this, you had to be an expert in the room. And I didn't feel I was an expert at anything, quite frankly. Every time I taught something, I had to relearn it myself. So I was taking a lot of... I, I really wasn't able to own the curriculum. I wasn't able to own the, the journey or the, the experience. It wasn't about experiences that you were delivering or supporting the students in. It was about delivering an expectation. And it was so concrete that I felt that I couldn't live up to that. I wasn't good enough. Um, and it wasn't until I moved abroad and I weren't, so I had my children and I moved, I was uh, to the Caribbean. I worked in a small um, international school in the British Virgin Islands. Um, and I had my children, so I didn't work full-time there. I worked part-time and I worked with students with needs. Um, and I realized that it was more, that it was about the students. I saw curriculum from a different way. It wasn't about curriculum and objectives. It was about a sequence or a scope the way you were you were able had a pathway and students had different pathways and so what was then that one or two things that flipped your mindset from doing teaching as a job it would be a pay packet and as you say you had that frustration then okay yes you went to the british virgin islands and you worked yeah. and you've almost found that one thing that, especially in teaching, grabbed you and took you and motivated you. But what were some of those things that you saw or witnessed that were completely different and almost switch your mindset completely? Because there are a lot of teachers out there that are stuck in schools or stuck in a in a way that actually they're boxed in. They can't think objectively and. That often comes with time and experience to sit back and say, actually, yeah, okay, all those frustrations you had early in your career have made you who you are today. But so what are some of those things that you noticed um, over there that completely are different or switch your way of thinking? Well, that's a really interesting question because I wasn't quite sure what, 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 when you started the question, I wasn't quite sure what it was that had flipped me. But actually thinking about it, when, when I grew um, when I became Nikki that you know now or started to become the Nikki you know now um, was probably when I first had my taste of technology in the classroom. It wasn't, so it wasn't my first taste. If we go back, you know, we had the BBC computer. I might have had a Microsoft computer. I remember using um, some form of Microsoft program where you could create, a, I think it was a publisher um, thing that we used to create a school newspaper. But moving beyond that into my international education, and I had moved over to Singapore, I we got one-to-one -one MacBooks. Can you imagine? One-to-one -one MacBooks in year two. Maybe get the money. Hello. So can you imagine how long it took them to type in their login, their Google password and login, their email address to log in? And it, we used to, year two, we used to spend the whole year. That was the target. By the end of the year, they could log in independently or one of their targets. And then we moved to getting one-to-one um, -to -one iPads. Um, and that became a game changer for me. And I started to get immersed in this um, tech world. And I went to... So in international education, it's slightly different in the fact that you are given a budget for professional learning for a year. And so it's normally around about a thousand US dollars a year for professional learning per teacher. Um, and so I started in some schools, actually, you can spend that on whatever you want. So I started to immerse myself down that technology route. And I mean, if we go back a little bit, I was always quite passionate about technology. I always found technology really easy. When I was at university, I used to earn money in the summer by working 
um, for a technology company where I would fix and build computers. Um, so I could build a computer from scratch um, and I could, um, you know, I was very good at sort of online help or not online, but on the phone help. If someone rang up the helpline, I could sit there and diagnose their problem and I could talk them through how to fix it or I could get on I uh, get on a bike and I could cycle off and go and fix it for them at wherever they were. So I did feel like technology was, I didn't realize it, but technology was my superpower at that point. And, um, and then, so when I started to immerse myself in this technology world, that is where I realized that there was something really unique about education and the power that technology was able to put into the hands of the students learning and the teachers. I love that phrase, tech is my superpower, because that's that one thing from you talking then and knowing you as well, how it's absolutely transformed you into this passionate teacher who is so willing to share and give and support and coach others. Yeah. But what is it, give, what is it about technology and especially thinking about from you and you, I know you alluded to earlier that you were diagnosed as dyslexic at the age of 10. Yeah. Is there a time when you've seen a child, we say often say that light bulb, you've seen something you've done as an educator oh. with technology on a child and you've seen that light bulb moment and you go back and think, and I don't know if you have the same feelings as me, you think, I wish... I had, I wish, I wish as I a child, that. I had that. Yeah. yeah. And it's that bit. You want, so, I mean, if we look at my childhood, it was being pulled out of a classroom to be taught. And I, I often think back to this. I had no understanding as a child what the point was. I was dyslexic and at the time they didn't realize, but I was ADHD as well. So I had not behavioral, but just very much uh, couldn't focus, um, very short-term memory, um, long-term memory was very hard for me to embed knowledge. Cognitive load was just where I would get overwhelmed quite easily or very tired. Um, my reading was very poor um, and it wasn't until now I'm a teacher that I realized, and I talk about this with students when I go in and when I'm working with students, and I, so I work with students every day in the classroom and teachers. Um, and I often talk about dyslexia and I'm very open about that. So students, right, kids, I'm dyslexic. So when you're working with me, you need to be aware that I struggle with reading a little bit. And I show them explicitly on the computer, on the iPad, what it, how hard it is for me to read. And it's so interesting how they become so motivated and, and brave to talk about how they feel quite often they're like I feel like that too because for me um and I think Apple accessibility when you look look at uh, say safari mode this is always a game changer in the classroom for me is when you go safari mode and you take up a website cluttered absolutely tricky to decipher the information and as a dyslexic and an ADHD learner you're looking at this and it's like candy your your eyes are drawn to all those visuals and all the clutter around the corners and all the text and the rich learning pieces are in inaccessible fonts, very close together. And when you look at the words, a sentence becomes one word to you. You cannot see the space. The space between the words is, is it, for us is the same as the space in between each letter in a word. So that for me has been um, really, that's a game changer when I go into the classroom, but I, did this week do something that I think is probably the most powerful thing I've done and the impact when you think about the impact that we have on student learning and I think that's really important that we we look out for those pieces of impact what what impact am I making and this week I had a, a spine tingling shiver moment that was just beautiful um so I was working in a classroom with a group of students and there are a lot of needs in this in this class. They're very excited. I am the iPad lady. I rock up and I teach them a lot of new skills and I go in and I really try and 
go hard and fast on those skills. So I really give those students some high expectations of what they need to be to be doing in forms of uh, digital literacy. Um, and so I was working with them and I wanted to, we were look, looking at inclusivity and accessibility as part of their global goals. And so I went in with, I don't know if you've seen it, James, the, um, the Apple accessibility, um, Sadie, I think it's called, and it's the video where it's all about what Apple tech do, but then what we've got is a, a, a lady putting that, that, um, we've got that putting that movie together behind the scenes and she's only doing it with her head movements have you seen that yeah it's one of the most powerful yeah. videos i've ever seen and i don't know like um we're saying about some apple stuff here some of the microsoft tools they're in oh, there and all of these absolutely phenomenal as well but if you've never seen it the um, I can't remember what it's called now, but it's absolutely phenomenal how the technology that any of us actually have in our hands, whether computer, iPad, laptop, um, how they're interacting with it without any additions as well. And I think that's the the fascinating piece behind it. Because I often talk about um, when you cross a road, for example, yeah. when you've got the crossing and you've got a drop curb, you've got the bumps and you've got the hole obviously with the with a button that stop and i often say for every single one of us there's a visual clue it's yeah. where to cross safely it's a reminder for children to stop the ability to press a button so the traffic stops and it's a you saw feature first all oh, but it's essential and necessary for some so the blind or partially sighted those physical bumps on the ground or the spinning under the traffic lights or the auditory tone absolutely essential to know cross safely for the deaf or the hard of hearing, it's a green man, knowing that yeah. adamant, or those with a physical disability, or um, parents with a pram, the drop curb. But what I like about that analogy, almost, is that it's built into what we do, and it's not an add-on, it's there for everyone to use. Yeah, I love that. I... And I think that's where technology, looking at technology through that light, is fascinating, and that video opens that whole world in terms of what is possible what's interesting about what you're what you're saying about the bumps in the road and the little divots and all the little buttons is that you don't it becomes wallpaper for you if you don't know it if you don't need it it's just another creative design or it's something interesting that's there and in fact you walk past most of these without even really signifying if you're walking through a station for instance a train station you don't notice that um, and I was at an air airport recently, and I didn't. Re and it took. I realised that they're guiding you with the bumps on the on the floor, and if you're not blind or you don't have those um, needs, then you don't notice they're there. They become part of the pavement. They're just normal, and it's not until you realise and until you see it through a different lens that you realise what it what it is there for. What's that most important? how vital it is and I think this is about all accessibility features is that um, if you are using accessibility features um, then they are so key to not just to everybody you know in so many different ways and going back on the flip side of that so going back to when you were 10 let's say and you said you you pulled out of classroom. It, it it made me think of when I worked with a child. I was one to one for about a term and a half who had a visual, um, who had yeah poor vision, and I think yeah. it was their distance that was a key thing. So we sat at the front of the classroom. She had a one to one. She had a big screen that would just mirror exactly what the teacher had um, on her screen. So she had to be very careful. She didn't pick up emails or other things on there. Um, and she obviously stuck out like a sore thumb in the classroom. And what was more fascinating was, yes, me and the teacher had a very good relationship, so we'd swap it. She didn't have that. We had to print things off big But when walking around school, actually, her vision, she knew where things were. 
for example, she had run that route every single day. I go back to my daughter. I know she's got stigma in her eye at the moment, and actually walking through, she knows where things are. A new, it's new at situations. But if we make it so explicit, we take them out. We don't integrate it. We hold their hand. Actually, we're almost putting a ceiling on what they can achieve. And do you feel like that's maybe part of the frustration that you had as a child, maybe, and also? as a young teacher where there was a seeding put there and I think technology opens it up. Yeah, I, 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 you have hit the nail on the head. I think that as a child, there were no expectations. They were so low, you know? Um, and even as a teenager, I remember coming out at 18 and feeling like I'd absolutely failed. I actually got into, into university um, the second time go, running because I... I didn't get in at all to any teaching um, universities the first time I applied. I was the only student in my school that didn't get any acceptance offers. And I was mortified. And that that absolute, um, the concept of failure is very real for me. I am very comfortable with failure because I have failed loudly um, my whole life. And that is really what it is for students with needs. They are constantly failing. They've become that they expect to fail. And that resilience that comes alongside that is absolutely imperative. And yeah. I, th I think after COVID and after lots of things, you talk to teachers about resilience. We need to actually open that world that, yeah, failing is okay. It's safe. Um, this is what we do to pick ourselves up and go again. I know Stephen Bartlett with his, um, he, he always talks about that's how you succeed. You have to be comfortable with failure. Like he has every podcast he does. And unfortunately we can't do this on teachers talk radio, but it's like he does 90 iterations of the thumbnail or titles and actually seeing yeah. which ones work and which ones don't. And so failure is a key thing. And I think yeah. Richard Branson as well. There's some amazing, if you talk about dyslexia, for example, Amazing people out there in the world. They found, okay, this is what I'm strong at. He didn't even know what net profit was until he was in his 50s and he had a multi-million pound company. Yeah, I once met Richard Branson um, because he lives in the British world. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you absolutely fine. Are you laughing at that? Yeah, I'm laughing. Claim to fame. Like, where can you... Fame. I did once meet him and I sat down next to him with for dinner for because he lived in the British Virgin Islands and I lived there as well. So we were, I got to go to a, a charity event that he was hosting um, on his island. I actually went to his private island. At the time, I was a stay-at-home mum, by the way, of three children under the age of three. So you can imagine how delighted I was um, to go. Um, but I talked to him all evening about dyslexia um, and about how he got to where he is and it is that fear of that we don't fear failure we're quite happy to to try and fail loudly and proudly because we've had it our whole lives um, and our childhood was riddled with failure let's go back to a phrase you said earlier because you've talked a lot from the child's perspective and that failure element and how we've We've alluded to a few times how technology can open their eyes. And you, you said a comment, and this may come while we talk about CPD and professional development, that teachers in particular, um, once you've seen at some points, see the world through their own lenses. Yeah. How can we actually open our eyes up as teachers yeah. to be in the pupil's shoes and see where their frustrations are and how can technology be used to support it, to give those children a voice? Yeah, I think um, I think it's having. I think I think professional learning comes with it as as it's mass. It's hugely important in the journey. I think we don't know what we know. We don't know what we don't know. Sorry, um, and so I think we get very comfortable living in our in our in our rooms and what you said earlier was that we are confined in our educational spaces we're boxed in our classrooms uh, it's very isolating as a teacher you are with the 30 32 children all day long you very rarely have another adult come in the room and so you get 
very attached to your safety network of whatever structures you put in place, whatever you think works in that space. You get to know those children very, very well. And so that responsibility is at times overwhelming. Um, but I think that we need to be able to step out of that safety net, that box that we're put into. We need to be able to be offered opportunities to see other spaces, to see to see peer, our, our colleagues teaching so we can see something different, to be able to go to other schools, to be able to go and share practice, to be able to learn from each other and open up so that we begin to have more of a community. And I think if we start to change um, teachers' mindsets so that we are constantly learning, research is going on. If you look at John Hattie, he's constantly trying to prove what he's done is either wrong he wants to find those pieces that are wrong. He's absolutely um, welcoming anyone to come up to him and have those com hard conversations about his research because we're, he's on a journey. We're all on this journey of, of trying to be much better at what we do and see things from a, from a truer perspective. Um, and so I think our teachers really need those opportunities in order to, to grow. They need a safe space to fail. They need a safe space to learn. They need a community that can support them and hold their hand along that journey. So how do you do that then? I know you work in a lot of um, schools and you coach a lot of teachers, a whole range of teachers, um, ECTs, yep. who want that control of their own classroom and feel very uncomfortable when someone comes in. Yep. Or those who are very open to learning and real absolutely take any advice and bring it on and they yeah. will try and incorporate it into there so how do you get teachers out of their safety mechanism to go and see it from the child's perspective yeah because i i had I, I, while you're thinking about your answer i had um i had this with the school i was working i was doing coaching and working with the teachers and then at one staff meeting i did um i planned two examples of lessons and it was it was through maths and we were i know in the school at the moment at that point we were really focusing on the teacher explanation and using concrete resources and i taught the an example lesson um to the teachers and the teachers were my children essentially and i deliberately without almost picking up example too explicitly but i deliberately did things that i've seen in that school and they were like, oh, yeah, I really noticed that I, I didn't know what the next step was or I didn't know how to show this or they finished it really quickly without any depth and they were just messing around, which is what the children would do. And then when I changed it to the second part of the lesson and I explicitly said this is what I'm doing and why and I modelled the lesson and almost it was a lot less teacher talk. It was a lot less more pupil um, explaining and actually doing the work and then I could go around and challenge them. That opened their eyes and sometimes seeing is believing and i think if teachers can see it see what the challenges themselves are that's brilliant but i was very lucky in that situation very lucky that i worked with that school and had that time to do something different yeah and that's what the school needed at that time so how how, how have you done it working and coaching with those teachers yeah i think that I'm very lucky as well, actually. I get to go in and see teachers repeatedly, the same teacher again and again. So I often do, a, um, I get an opportunity to see a teacher, one teacher, say, over a period of a year. Um, I, I, if I think back to one of my favourite wow moments was um, a teacher called Sue. And she, um, she had high needs in her class um, high levels of students who were um, EAL and new to new to the very new to the UK. Uh, mother tongue was um, of a completely uh, a different language and may have two mother tongues going on, uh, two different languages going on. 
plus coming to a new country, they were off also transient. So they were living in hotels. They didn't have a permanent residence um, and uh, quite often had been split up from their parents and were living with a other family member. Um, and there was one little boy who, so these children were in year three and um, I think we've talked about 90% of them were EAL. And um, she was very much full of lots of teacher talk, very, very, um, had been a very experienced teacher, Senko in the school, but really felt um, very, wanted to learn technology, but just felt very worried about it. And I went in and she was very, um, I would say, controlling about the students' behavior and about controlling the class. Um, everyone was very much set in their seating arrangements. And um, there was one boy in there who was um, selective mute and his he'd never heard his own voice. Sue had never heard his own voice. His peers had never heard his voice. And neither, his parents had very rarely heard it. And if they had, it was in a tiny whisper. So... Um, I showed Sue, I went in for the first time and I, what I, one of my things that I think is really important is number one, modeling failure, which luckily, as you know, James comes naturally for me, uh, especially when things don't quite go wrong in technology as we've uh, modeled today. But I think, yeah, modeling failure to them, knowing that they, you're not the expert, but you're here to, as a supportive person. I like to go in and say that I'm looking for the, um, I'm looking for the best things about that about that that teacher or about that classroom. I'm looking for the brilliant things they already do, and I want to support them in those things to move them forward. I'm not looking for negativity, and I'm not in there to find the flaws in their teaching practice. So I'm very I'm very firm on that, and it's one of the first things I go in to say. I'm also very often say, look, I'm quite happy to sit here. What do you need from me? Um, so. If they are like Sue or other teachers that I work with that do have a lot of structures in place and they are quite reluctant to hand over the reins of the class to me, then I go in as a teaching assistant and I'm quite happy. They can plan the lesson and I will go and support. And what I often find is that within the first 10 minutes, they're very happy to hand that over. If I say to them, actually, I've got an idea for this. How do you feel if I just took the iPad and I just demonstrated a few things? they go, oh, yes, and then they'll hand over the reins. So I think for me with teachers, it's about working out who they are, having those conversations. I don't have conversations with my teachers over email really very rarely. I like them to ring me or me ring them or have a meeting on meets because I like to build that relationship with them. It's really important that we develop those really close trusting relationships where they feel safe that they know that I'm not a judge, I'm not going to judge them, that they know I'm only there for the students and the teaching and learning. And I absolutely trust that they are doing the best that they can. Um, and so when I think about um, the Sue, what happened with Sue was that I, I just showed her Padlet. Um, and she was doing a lesson, she was wanting, she was doing a unit where she wanted to show, showcase the students making their own artwork. And I said, let's look at Padlet. And the students can post, and then they can see each other's, they can record that, record their message. And so she used it. And within four weeks, she rang me at home and said, you wouldn't believe what's happened. And she sent me the work. And it heard this one student um, had recorded his voice for the first time and he'd heard his own voice and from then within about six weeks he was telling stories he was reading he was doing so much online he oh it just opened up a new world for him so I think that for me Sue was a game changer in just realizing she was my toughest client I'd ever had as well so I for me working with Sue um and going in she scared the living daylights out of me because I met her in the staff room in the morning and she was so officious and just quite frightening and I thought I am never going to move the mindset of Sue um but I did and she she is phenomenally um talented and super creative and just wants the very best and I think that for her 
the the brashness that I saw and I met at the very beginning was really because she didn't want to be judged. And she also wanted to protect her students. She knew them. And she didn't want someone else coming in and judging what was going on based on a one look. So from that, we had a year's worth of work and um, and it was just, it was really lovely. It was just such a, it was an incredible experience for me, really. What a lovely, heartwarming story. We're going to go and break for the news for a second. And then when we come back, I want to talk about the international scene, especially in the realm of technology. And then think about what's the future hold, especially we're in the prefaces at the moment. We had the Bet Show last week, where I know Teachers Talk Radio were there, and the rise of AI. And how is that going to transform that and break down those barriers of education, personalised learning as well? But first, the news. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem-solving and many more. Offer the EtonX curriculum in your school for free. Visit EtonX.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio news a 1000 pounds cash incentive and a campaign to raise the profile of childcare workers in england has been launched as part of a recruitment drive according to the bbc thousands of extra nursery workers and childminders are needed as the government plan to expand funded hours begins the Department for Education says that more than 100,000 working parents of two-year-olds have already registered for the April rollout. However, early years charities say the campaign to recruit is too late. By September 2025, all eligible preschool children of working parents from the age of nine months will be able to access 30 hours of term-time childcare. Research suggests that the number of childcare providers is currently falling as childminders leave the role, although the number of places remains roughly stable. Data suggests that almost 28,000 early years specialists will be needed to meet the rise in demand, an expansion of 8%. The BBC also reports that staff at Scotland's exam body will take strike action at the end of February over a pay dispute. Around 400 workers will stage two 24-hour stoppages and the action will also include an overtime ban, a ban on weekend working, and a ban on accruing time off in lieu. The union said the industrial action would have a major impact on the SQA's ability to prepare for exam season, but the SQA itself said it had contingency plans in place and that the strike would not have any impact at all. The Herald in Scotland also reports on calls from some quarters to raise the school starting age. A motion filed by the Glasgow Kelvin MSP calls for a national conversation on early years education and argues that a new approach could help tackle Scotland's long-standing educational attainment gap. The proposal to raise the starting age secured cross-party support in less than 24 hours. It's not the first time that the SNP have called for an increase in the starting age for pupils. Quote, with recent concerns that the school system in Scotland is not helping to close the gap between disadvantaged pupils and their non-disadvantaged peers, 
the plans have appeared again. Under the plans, children would start school at six rather than four or five, and a kindergarten stage for three to six-year-olds would be introduced, increasing the amount of early years education by 12 months, replacing primary one. The kindergarten stage would focus on learning through play. Full details of the proposal can be read online in a variety of media outlets. Finally, Schools Week covers demands from the University of Cambridge to delay the new teacher training framework. The University has said it lacks confidence in the new framework and suggests a delay of at least a year. The initial teacher training and early career framework, or ITT-ECF, was unveiled by the Department for Education at the start of February. The ITT-ECF will combine and replace the currently separate ITT core content and the ECF from September 2025. The University called for the change to be implemented no sooner than September 2026, if at all. This would allow for further consultation, it says, and revision as the new framework was just a tweak on the current one and was a wasted opportunity. The Education Faculty at Cambridge also claims that the framework sets unclear and contradictory objectives for ITT providers. In the longer term, the University says a framework should be developed and led by a non-party political, cross-sector expert team. The new framework has already divided opinions in the school's community and many have taken to social media to express concerns. The Department for Education have declined to comment. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Hello and welcome back to those who are listening live to us tonight, especially talking about Beyond Barriers, Tech as a Tool for Inclusive Education with our guest, Nikki Foote. Now, Nikki, as we enter the last 15 minutes of our conversation there, Three key things I want to talk about. One of them, one that I'm really interested about in particular, is your international experience. And I know we talked about earlier how that international aspect really revitalized you as a teacher and found your purpose, found that thing that you really grabbed hold on and transformed you into who you are now. So how does that approach of technology and education differ across the countries you've worked in and what kind of things are there that we can learn on them? Oh, um, okay. So I was very lucky. I spent six years in Singapore and then I did a really wonderful stint um, for two years in Beijing. Um, I worked and then I did a year in Bangkok but my Bangkok year was COVID, so you can eradicate that from your memory. It was quite harsh. Um, but the I the communities out there are incredible. I was very lucky to work at um, an incredible community community called the um, Western Academy of Beijing, um, which is a, a a not for profit school in Beijing. It's twenty five years old, or probably twenty seven years old now. I would have thought. Um, and it was the most incredible experience I've ever, ever be, had the privilege of taking part in. Um, they accept you for whoever you are and, and, and the students. Um, so teaching there is very different. They give you a lot of, uh, I mean, total ownership. You have a curriculum, obviously. It was PYP, which we we taught. So the primary, if you don't know, the primary years program, which is the primary curriculum, uh, which is part of the International Baccalaureate. Um, and so they were all three um, IB systems, international uh, PYP, MYP, which is the middle years program, that secondary sort of up to GCSE kind of um, curriculum. And then the DP, which is the diploma level. Um, which is sort of A levels, and I was working um, in in the PYP, and I had I've been very experienced in the PYP. I've been doing it for a lot of years, um, and it's so it's inquiry based. Um, the PYP is very low in 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 content, and so what schools do is they take curriculums from around the world and they bring together the best bits of what they love as a community and put them together to make. So we had maths curriculum, say, from the States. We would do 
New Zealand maths curriculum actually in one school, which is an incredibly ma rich um, maths curriculum. But what was really interesting was that the schools would really allow you to own your professionalism. They really believed in you. There was, you could do what you needed to do in order to be the best teacher you you wanted. So there was a lot of a, a lot of leeway in in terms of experiences, in terms of coming out off timetable, for instance, um, creating experiences with your teams, um, the collaboration that we had there as as a team in order to collaborate and create. And I say, when I say, I don't say lessons, I find that very difficult now because it really was about experiences. It was about creating something every day for the students that would inspire them, that would meet the unique needs of all the students. So we would say often in our planning would look at all students across the year level and whether that was 120 students, and we would look at all the teachers or and all the support assistants, so we might have seven adults, and we would look at the unique pathways those students need. So if we were looking at um, repeated addition, for instance, we would look at what students needed in those in in terms of skills, what their mastery level was, and then we would create these these unique little groups based on what they needed. Um, and that was a really exciting and interesting way. And it was so f freeing from one teacher, 30 kids in the class in order to meet the needs of those, of those students. Um, I think the other thing that was really interesting was the EAL element. So I spent a lot of time working with students who had English as a second language or third language. And often families would be there and would have two languages within the family. Um, and so looking at learning from that perspective of fear was really interesting. So I say fear because students would come in uh, to the school. They had transitioned into a new country. They had transitioned into a new community. Um, they had no friendships and they didn't have a language to hold them to give them some form of security. So they were completely isolated. So you were able to, so I had a lot of training in order to how to create a safe space for students to learn, which is basically forgetting the learning and looking at and creating that safe, looking at what they already know and creating a bond and a connection between what they know now and what they've previously learned to what they want need, you're needing to them to learn and so when you can make those connections and you deepen and strengthen those connections they build that safety so that I think was really interesting for me I think there's a theme here is stepping back and having a look and going back to the why why are we doing and what are we doing and yes we have constraints but actually there's quite a lot we can do within those constraints and yeah I think sometimes we're too quick to jump from one thing to another without thinking objectively and having those that professional dialogue but also the ability to step back i think teaching is quite an emotive profession in some ways yeah i don't think we always have that so that in regard what what are your hopes dreams wishes yeah. for the future and almost i think of when i ask this question i think of it what did I wish I had as a pupil if I was if, when I was a pupil and almost what I wish I had as a early career teacher as well and yeah. what there is now is absolutely phenomenal um and then we'll talk about some of those barriers again in a bit if. so what's what's your wish for the future for our children I I really wish I really hope that we are able to create um teaching and learning spaces where we are less focused on content and more focused on students and student students needs and students experiences students are going to learn anyway um learning happens regardless and it's, this is something that john hattie says quite often is that uh, learning happens because not because of us we, we the worst of us can students children still continue to grow no matter what we do. So what we need to do is focus on less content. I would love that content to just be free, to allow teachers 
to go deeper, to really pick up on students' um, passions, students' excitement, and to be able to delve into those magic moments. And how is technology then going to be at the practices of this at the moment? Because we've got it, a lot in AI. We had the House of Lords who were talking about actually, who were questioning the government, what impact is there with technology at the moment? So what, what do you want with technology that you've seen that, yep, it's absolutely transformed this child or it's transformed you as a teacher um, and it opens those eyes and gives everyone that ability to have a voice? How, what role do you think uh, tech has in this space? Tech comes in so many different shapes and forms. So it, um, what I love about it is that it doesn't matter what your talent is or what your skills are, or what you're excited about, what makes you tick and thrive. Technology can fit, fit into all of those pieces, but the most important part is that it, it captures the imagination. It allows to develop creativity, and it also allows for students to be able to, um, to share their voice louder and bolder, or even to find their voice. Um, and that's what I love about it. If I look at AI and, and then the, what AI is bringing in, to teaching and learning and I know there's a lot of fear about it but let's look at how it actually frees up that cognitive load how it frees up that cognitive load in in the terms of the teacher and how they create can create space in their day to do more but also meet more needs and meet more needs so uniquely and so beautifully and seamlessly um, and quickly but also, it, um, it, the more we see of it and the more it gets in, in, it sort of like layered within technology, I really hope that we start to see opportunities for expression where students can start to be able to connect with learning in a, in a greater way and a deeper way. I've just written down, find their voice. It brings me back to a time when I had a child in my year five class who I had to, I taught him in year three as well. And he wouldn't say um, boo to a ghost, anything. And he wouldn't raise his hand in class. He wouldn't really articulate himself. And there was a time where we had class assembly and I wanted him to make sure he had an opportunity because I knew he, there was something in there. Um, and one of the things I learned about him was he was such an advocate for rugby, absolutely loved it at the weekends, and that was where he found himself. And so at lunchtime, we, it was like a news report. Him and his friends, he recorded it. It was a safe space, green screen. The kids edited it, barely showed them what to do, um, and they did it. And I just remember sat in that hall when that came up, at the beginning of the cast assembly, just seeing his face, but seeing his parents' face. Yeah. And just at that moment, I was like, this is phenomenal. The ability that technology can absolutely turn something on its head and it gives this child that voice and that ability to showcase their learning in a way that up until that point, you could say school had failed him. Yeah. I think. That's the scary thing, but that's also the exciting thing at the same time. Yeah, I think it, it allows, this, if you look at assembly specifically, it allows students to be able to shine without being centre stage, without being doing the thing that scares them the most. They can bring something to the party, everyone can. And that's what I love about that accessibility piece. And if you look at all of these tools that we have, if you're using those accessibility features, you are meeting the needs of every student, not just those ones with, uh, with needs. So I'm going to give you a challenge as we've got to finish in a second at the end of this conversation. So what's that one thing okay, you want to tell our listeners, one nugget of information you want them to go away with in this idea of using technology the tool for inclusive education yeah be playful 
Um, I would say that my one tip that I give every teacher that I would love to leave every teacher with and that they take away is that find that tiny space in your time in your classrooms where you can be playful, where you offer the students the opportunity to play, to learn and to actually lead you. Um, let them show you what they know. Uh, learn from them. Um, and yeah, I really think that adding play and joy into into technology um, releases that fear. It makes fear beautiful. What lovely words to finish on. Thank you once again, Nikki, for such an enlightening conversation. I know we could probably talk for hours. But thank you for everyone who has talked to and listened on Teachers Talk Radio this evening. And I hope this conversation has sparked some interest for you. To listen back to Teachers Talk Radio, please download the Podbeam app or visit your favourite podcast player and search for Teachers Talk Radio. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple or visit ttradio.org forward slash listen back. Follow us on Twitter slash X at TT Radio Official and tweet using the hashtag TT Radio. Thank you once again, Nikki, and thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. And thank you all the